0: everlasting once you open up with me to the book of deuteronomy chapter 2 and we're going to continue to take a look at moses final words to the children of israel in this first section of deuteronomy what he's doing is rehearsing their history and the great thing about this and why these these opportunities are important to us is because there's no better commentary on the bible than the bible so as Moses talks about some of these areas, he's going to enlighten us to some of the things going on behind the scenes, some of the things that were happening, so that you and I can have a better understanding of the history we've already covered through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So as he reiterates some of these things here in these, in these first few chapters, we're going we're to see that as we take a look. But greater, greater than that, don't forget the point. As we look at the book of Deuteronomy, we're hearing... The final words of a guy who spent his entire life trying to lead a people that didn't always want led into a victorious life with the Lord. And they have victories and they have defeats. And there are those of us here who have experienced both of those victories and defeats In the the desire that we have to go on with the Lord in a more complete way. So as we take a look, let's hear what Moses has to say for you and I. begins now in chapter 2 verse 1. Then we turned and we journeyed into the wilderness on the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Now you have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward i love that verse i think that section of scripture the lord has spoke to me on numerous occasions that i have gone around that mountain enough anybody made more than one trip around a mountain before two sometimes three round and round the lord says to the children of israel "Hey, you skirted the mountain enough it's time to go now It's time for us to to experience everything that God has for us. Everything that God desires for us. For the children of Israel. What's that that experience is? Entering into the promised land. Hey, they're getting ready to do it. Moses says he's laying out their history for them. Don't forget where the children of Israel are at. Right on the Jordan River. They can see Jericho. Jericho can see them. The day is coming when God's going to say, cross the river. But until that time, he's saying, hey, it's time. You've circled this mountain enough. You wandered around in the wilderness enough. You've, you've lived that life of drudgery, not experiencing the joy that God has for you long enough. And all that's required for us to step out of that is to hear the Lord say, that's enough around the mountain. It's time to go over it. It's time to, to go and possess What God has already declared for you. And realize that that's true. God has already declared for you and I. The victorious Christian life. He's already won all the battles. He's already defeated the enemy. He's already obliterated Satan. And Satan's power and sin's power in your life. And now his charge to us is. It's enough around the mountain. It's time to go. It's time for us. To move forward. And that's the word that he gives to them. He says, Command the people and say to them, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. You know, a lot of times people look at the conquest of the children of Israel. And they see it outside of the context of what's gone on there. It's not as though God randomly displaced all these people so that the chosen people could have abundance and all these others could suffer. On their way there, they're going to pass one, two, three, at least three people groups that God's going to say, that's not your land. I'm not giving you that land. I don't want you to fight with them. I don't want you to mess with them. You're just passing through. And these are the people that come into your life on your way to the victorious Christian life. And we all have those people. There are people that are going to enter into your life. Listen, it's important that you understand not every person that crosses your path is your person to speak to. Now, if the Lord is telling you, hey, I want you to speak to this person. I want you to share with this person. I want you to... To reach out to this person I want you to uh, have dealings with, then go for it. But what did the Lord say to the children of Israel as they were coming up to the descendants of Esau? Leave them alone. That's not your land. This is not your area to possess. They're not your people. I'm watching out for them. You know the very cool thing about that for me? You realize God was watching out for Esau's kids. Remember Jacob I have chosen. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. That whole uh, Hebrew um, idiom for I chose Jacob, but I I didn't choose Esau. Remember Esau despised his birthright. didn't care. But his father was still Isaac. And God still loved his father. And God still loved Isaac's children. And God's watching out for him right here. God's watching over him. We're going to see as we take a look at the things that God was doing for other people other than the nation of Israel. And sometimes I think we, we forget that God is sovereign over all the earth and every life in it. And God doesn't lose control or forget to pay attention and things happen. He is sovereign. He knows what He's doing. He's accomplishing A good work, whether you and I can see it as good or not. God doesn't require our acceptance in what he does. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. But God doesn't require that. Rather, God says, listen, I'm telling you I'm good. And even if you can't see what's good, I ask you to trust me, my character. That's what God is, is declaring for you and I. So here, listen, he tells them about the children of Esau. Leave them, don't meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because what's it say? I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Who was watching over Esau? Even when Esau was, didn't care about God at all, who was watching over Esau? God. Isn't that comforting to you? I bet it was comforting to my parents when I was on a spiral out of control in life. And they look at me and think, where's the kid we raised? That sometimes when that's going on, we need to realize God is still in control. God gave Esau a possession. He gave him land. He gave him favor. He watched over him. We're going to see as the scripture goes on. We need to understand that God is working Not only in our lives, but in all the lives that touch us, all the lives around us, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. He's in control. And I don't have to have all the answers. He doesn't require Nowhere in the Bible does it say, Jackie has to have all the answers for everything I ever did. He says, he needs to trust me, my character, who I am as God. If He does that, we will see that it all comes together. Look, He goes on in verse 6. You will buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. Now before you think this is not odd, think about where's their bread coming from every day? Manna, right? Where did the water come from to water the children of Israel? In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 it says the rock followed them. That rock was Jesus Christ. The rock that Moses struck. The rock that Moses was supposed to speak to. That gave water to 2 million plus people. But what is God saying here? My manna is not always going to be there. So as you pass through their land. Tell them you'll buy bread to eat. And you'll buy water to drink. You see, as the children of Israel cross in to the promised land, as they begin to possess, you know what's going to happen? Man, it's going to stop. And they're going to start providing from the land that God had promised them. They won't need what they were receiving at one time, what was required of God. And it's the same thing for us in our lives, guys. We, God expects us to progress To move forward. To not always need to be spoon-fed. But that there's a progression in our life toward holiness. A progression in our life toward righteousness. A progression in our life toward wanting to know God more. Wanting to understand more of what He has for us. So, they're going to buy food and buy water. One day, soon, the manna will stop. Look what it says. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. And he knows your trudging through the great wilderness. Man, I have that circled, underlined stars all around it. In three different colors. Because when I read that, man, I, I could have danced a jig right there. You ever felt like you're just trudging through life? Like everything is just a Chore. And uh, you know what are you doing? Trudging, trudging. There's a what was that movie? That guy talks about trudging. The Night's, Tale. Night's Tale. Don't watch it. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> they, one of the things he says in that movie, they ask this guy what he's doing, and he's like, "I'm trudging, the act of putting one foot in front of the other, taking one more step in this dreary, ho-hum existence." But the scripture said, "The Lord." knows your trudging through the great wilderness. Remember we just came through the book of Numbers? Bamidbar the idea of our wandering through the wilderness, aimless, you know, struggling. But, but the beauty for me, the beauty when we study the book of Numbers, when we look at the 40 years in the wilderness, is every day God still led them. Every day God still ministered to them. Every day they had manna. Every day they had water. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. That's not a God who hates his people. The judgment of God was upon his people and they were all going to die. That generation would perish in the wilderness, never experiencing everything that God had for them. But that could be said about a lot of people that walk with the Lord, can it? But God was still there every day. Every day. You ever like had it up to here with somebody? And you're just like, you know what, I'm just writing that guy off. You know, I put a little check mark by his name. I don't answer his phone calls anymore. I don't even see him. I don't acknowledge him in the world. Just check this guy off. That's how we deal judgment. When God judges somebody, he's by their side every morning and every night. He's still their light in the darkness. He's still the shadow in the comfort of the wings of the Most High in their life. Every step of the way. Even though they're not going to experience everything that God has for them, He will never leave you or forsake you. Man, that's so awesome. I know your trudging. You think we can hide our trudging from the Lord? Can our children hide their trudging from us? You know when our kids were little and they got mad about something they didn't like? I always picture trudging as the way Joe stomps down the hallway when something didn't quite go his way. I know you're trudging. Stomping down the hallway, slamming a door, making sure everybody knows that he's not very happy with how things are going. But the Lord says, I know you're trudging. I know it. And I'm there. It's this concept of of not like I have an idea of what it would be like. You know how when some people say, I know how you feel. And you know they have no idea how you feel. But when God says, I know you're trudging. He really knows it. He really can relate to how we feel. I know you're trudging. Through this great wilderness, these 40 years, the Lord your God, look what he says, has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Now I guarantee you if we lined up the children of Israel and said, what are you guys lacking? They had a list of what they didn't have. You know, that's one of the unique things about human beings. We can always come up with what we don't have. We struggle with coming up with what we do have don't we that's why the bible says for us to meditate on the pure and the lovely and that which is of good reproach that that we look at the the beauty that god has given us how many times we wake up in the morning having to go do something we're not excited about and forget the beauty of the majesty of the sunrise that we're looking at the incredible beauty that we live in I don't know if you forgot or not, but Idaho is a beautiful place to live. You don't think so? Well, come with me next time I go to Arizona. I'll show you lots of ugly places. Man, uh, we could drive it through the desolate wasteland. And I can only say, thank God you didn't call me here. Man. Man. No, he, he brought me to a beautiful place, a, a lush place, a place that has seasons, a place that has an incredible beauty and a, an excitement every morning I can get up and I can look out and I can see the, the edge of the canyon. I can see Kathy's waterfall if it's on. And I, can, and I can see the birds flying. And there is beauty every single morning that we can see. But sometimes the waves and the wind blind our eyes to the beauty and the good things that God has given us and all we can see is how big the waves are how rough the sea is and what happens when that's the only thing we look at what happened to peter he sank you ever find yourself sinking depression downcast unhappy frustrated what is that a dead giveaway that i'm focused on the storm and i'm not seeing the blessings god has already given me the blessings that he gives me every morning the fact that he gives me a new day every day because honestly i'll screw up the day before bad enough that he doesn't have to give me any more but he gives me a new day. He gives me a new opportunity. He gives us so much. Our prayer needs to be, God, help me have eyes to see your beauty and your majesty. Look at the Psalms. How many times as we go through the Psalms does, does he declare the majesty of God and the beauty of God and, and all the incredible uh, of creation And the incredible things and the might and the power of God. And how wonderful and beyond our comprehension He is. We have to have eyes to see that. Or we won't realize that what the Word of God said right here is true. They lacked nothing. Why? Because God is everything. What do you mean? He's not, yeah, he's everything. He is the only thing we need. And until we learn, like Paul would tell us, to have godliness with contentment, we're never going to understand what he said next is great gain. What's that mean? That means when I can see the beauty, the majesty, the incredible thing that I have in a relationship with the most high God and that that is the thing that my eyes are on, all of a sudden the wind, the wave, the storm is not such a big deal anymore. And I'll have eyes to see that God is everything I need. They lacked nothing the forty years they wandered in the wilderness; they lacked nothing. Well, God was upset with them. He was. God judged them. He did. But He was still everything they need. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that, because there's this move in Christianity to to to. It's subtle. It's this subtle move towards a a works related ideal that. Yeah, 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 that's a good place to start, but you need to add all this other stuff. What are you talking about? When I I look at the Scripture, these guys were the major blow But God says they lacked nothing because they had Him. Or they didn't have everything they could have had in Him. They didn't experience all that God had for them. But they still didn't lack anything because they had the Lord. We we need to realize our joy is in Him. Everything we need is in Him, in a relationship with Him that can't be bought, that can't be traded for, that can't be worked into, but that's just there. And all I have to do to experience it is possess it. That's it. Just possess what God has for us. That's all we have to do. He's going to explain it to us. Let's go on. Verse 8. And when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezon-Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And then the Lord said, here's the second people group that God's going to say, hey, don't mess with these guys. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now, if you really want to fry your noodle on this whole concept of goodness and righteousness and and the good people should get good things and bad people should have bad things and that's the way it should all work, then explain this to me. You know where Moab came from, right? You remember Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't go seek the Lord for where he should live. He moved in Sodom and Gomorrah, cost him his whole family. His wife's going to turn into a pillar of salt. His sons-in-law are going to perish. Only his two virgin daughters are going to escape the city with him. But instead of just going wherever God says, they say, oh, can we please just live in Zoar? We don't want to get out of the city. We still like to live in the city and... And then they get afraid when the angel says yes, so they go climb up in a mountain and they see the judgment of God poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah and his two daughters are sure that the world has ceased. We're going to have to do something. Every man has been killed. What will we do? I have an idea. Let's get dad drunk. They got dad blitzed. The Bible says Lot had no idea what he was doing. And his oldest daughter slept with him and became impregnated. And his youngest daughter slept with him and became impregnated. And their children are the Moabites and the Ammonites. And God says, This is not your land, Israel. I gave this to the descendants of Lot. To those children born of incest. Is God working in their life? Yeah. Does He have to tell us everything He's doing in the Word of God? Did He, did he tell us exactly how He's working with their, their kids? How is it that God still has a relationship with the Moabites? Do we know any Moabites in the Bible? Sure, we know a Moabitess. Her name's Ruth. She has an important son. I think Jesse, but definitely in the line of David comes from Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz becomes a picture of Jesus Christ and Ruth becomes a picture of Jesus' Gentile bride. Interesting. But as we look at the Scripture, guys, look what he's saying here. He's saying, don't mess with Moab. Just leave them be. I have given them this land. It's theirs. I give it to them. And then he goes on to tell us, as we, as we continue on in verse 10, he says, Now the Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. Remember the Anakim. Don't lose sight of the Anakim. They were the, what, giants, right? The Hebrew word is Rephaim, which means terrible ones. They translate that to, to giants. The Emim, Emim means... Um, what does it mean? Emim means terrible ones. It means, it's, it's over and over you're going to see these names. Anakim, uh, Emim, Nephilim. Uh, they all basically have this concept of these are like bad people. Crazy, powerful, warrior-like people. Whatever there was about them, no matter which family group you're talking about, whoever met them was afraid of them. Remember, the children of Israel wouldn't even go into the land because of them, right? But listen, look what it says. The Emim had dwelt there in times past. Where? Well, where the Moabites were dwelling now. And they were also regarded as giants, like the Anakim. But the Moabites called them the Emim. Emim. Rephaim, I'm sorry, is fearsome ones. Emim is terrible ones. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir. But the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord gave them. What's he saying? He's saying these people that, that God said, this is their land, don't worry about them, they had giants to battle too. They had giants to battle too. We have giants in our life We have terrible ones, you know, things in our life that frighten us, scare us, that are, that are, 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 you know, they just make us think, oh, there's no way that we can gain the victory. These guys had that too. And I want you to also notice from verse 10 through 12, that's a parenthetical phrase that was inserted after the conquest of the children of Israel at the time of Joshua. So this is, this is Joshua coming in and saying, okay, let me give you another little, little tidbit on what happened. These guys wiped out the giants too. That's going to be important in a minute. You'll see. We'll get there. Don't worry. Hang on. We're moving. In verse 13, he says, Now rise and cross over the valley of the Zered. So we crossed over the valley of the Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years. That's the conclusion of their 40 years of wandering. Until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. Now before we think that all of their perishing in the wilderness is just natural causes, look at the next verse. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them, to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Don't forget that this is still a a people that was judged for their lack of faith and belief, for not entering into everything that God had for them. Does that mean they're not God's people anymore? No, it just means they didn't enter into the promised land. They didn't enter into all that the Lord had. The Lord is not well pleased with them. But when we look at Scripture, don't we see... The New Testament telling us that some will be saved though as by fire. Some are saved, but they still have the smell of smoke on them. Like the fires of hell was licking around their feet, but they made it. It's the same kind of a concept. They didn't have everything that God had for them. But just because someone dies. Doesn't mean someone is out of God's perfect plan and has no relationship with the Lord that's just the end here it's not the end of everything what are the wages of sin how many times every time every time so as a result of sin they die doesn't mean that they're not part of God's people it doesn't mean that they're not saved that their faith and trust wasn't in the Lord It just means that they didn't enter into everything that they had for him. In verse 16 he goes on, So it was when all the men of the war had finally perished from among the people, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, This day you are going to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot, As a possession. Again, he says, Don't take the land of the Ammonites. Don't take the land of the Moabites. Don't take the land of the Edomites. Because I've given them that. It's theirs. See, God's sovereignty goes far beyond just Israel. God's sovereignty goes far beyond his sovereignty reaches into our life, that he is actually in control of every aspect of our life. Um, this last week, Kathy and, and I, are, our hearts are, are broken for Natalie and Greg, right? Who we were so stoked for. They're having a baby and they're excited and everything seems to be great and, and it's all good <clears throat> and we're looking forward to celebrating with them. And their baby's born, and for whatever reason, nobody really knows, when the baby's born, they can't get the baby to breathe. And by the time they get the baby to breathe, there's no brain function anymore. And after about two weeks, they say, baby's gone. Now, what do you do with that? Does it bring you comfort to say, oh, God didn't, wasn't watching, He wasn't paying attention, this is random, and random things happen? Or is God sovereign even over that? I mean, I don't sorrow for the baby. The baby's okay. My heart's broke for mom and dad and the, and the emotions and the... And the In the storm that they were in. But what's my eyes on? I've got to have my eyes on the Lord. If I look at the storm, I can't offer them any solace. I can't help. I can't mourn with those who mourn. (coughs) But if I look at the Lord and say, God, I trust you. I don't have to have all the answers. But I trust you. Now I still have within my heart, within my soul, that, that foundation with the Lord that says, God knows what He's doing. I don't know what He's doing, but God knows what He's doing. And it doesn't have to look right to me to be right. Because I can't see all the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs. I don't know what Natalie's life looks like 40 years from now as a result. And who she ministers to, and and who gets saved, and, and what lives are radically changed. I can't see any of that. What I can see is a God who is sovereign and who knows what he's doing, and I can hold on to the foundational truth that God says, I know the thoughts that I think. Toward You thoughts of good not of evil to give you a future and a hope and nothing that God brings into our life is there to destroy us But it feels like it is that's a lie It's a lie We know God's good We know God is love We know God is all-powerful. I can't say that God wasn't there He was and that was part of, of the road of the, the, that the Lord has. But I can also hold on to Romans eight twenty eight and say, not I hope, but I know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But the Lord doesn't tell me, take all that knowledge you have and... Use that to comfort. That doesn't comfort anybody. How do you comfort somebody who's weeping? You sit next to them and cry with them. How do you comfort somebody whose heart's broken? You just come alongside. And when they don't have the strength to stand, you get up underneath them and help hold them up. What do you say? There's nothing to say. What is there to say? Yeah. Expressing the love of God into someone's life, that's how we meet the need for a brother or sister who's hurting. But God is still on the throne and he knows what he's doing. And I don't know how all the pieces come together, but I can guarantee you one thing. They all come together. And when we have all the answers, if we have all the answers one day, We'll see. Righteous and true are his judgments. That's what the word declares. Now listen. He gave the land to Lot as a possession. God is in control. But look at verse 20, 21, 22, and 23. Parenthetical statement once again inserted afterwards. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there. But the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. You know what that means? Wicked men. Hmm. So you have wicked men, terrible ones, um, fearsome ones, fallen ones, are all the words used that are translated giants. The concept is these are these beings or these people or whoever they were, whatever they were, they caused fear in everybody's heart. But look, the, the, the Ammonites, who aren't traditionally known as an incredibly godly people, but whom God gave this land to, were able to defeat the giants that were before them. It says in verse 21 a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. What does it say? Look at what it says. But the Lord destroyed them from before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place. Who won the battle? The Lord. What did they do? They just possessed it. They just stepped. God did it. They might look back over their life and say, What a mighty kingdom I have built. That didn't work out so good for Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar who said, look at all I have done. And the Lord said, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? I am going to teach you something. This is what I'm going to teach you. I'm the one who built your kingdom. I'm the one who guided you, who gave you victory. So I'm going to pull my favor off of you. And you're going to walk around and live like a wild animal for seven years. And I, while you're a wild animal, scrambling around in the field with your hair growing long like feathers, and your nails growing long like claws. I'm going to keep your kingdom for you while you're loopy. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes loopy for seven years. And at the end of seven years, when the Lord restores to Nebuchadnezzar his understanding, you remember what Nebuchadnezzar says? He writes a whole chapter in the Bible. He says, what a fool I was. God built this kingdom. God gave us victory over the giants. God gives us victory. This is not the nation of Israel we're talking about here, right? You mean God works in other people? Yeah, surprise. God has plans for, for other nations? Yep. And here's one of them the Lord gave them the land. Just as he had done for the descendants of Esau. Wait a minute. You remember when we read in 10, 11, and 12 that Esau, you know, the descendants of Esau had battled the giants as well when they possessed the land? Well, look, he said just as he, that he is God, just as God had done for the descendants of Esau. So who gave the descendants of Esau the victory? Was it because they were so mighty and powerful and they're so brave and wonderful and courageous? No. God raises up Kingdoms. God is in control. Every aspect of our lives, God is in control. No matter how it looks, God knows what He's doing. They took on the giants, but God gave them the victory. Listen, He says, <clears throat> Just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them, they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwell in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. The Kaftorim, just a little side note, that's the Philistines. Yeah, they had giants to battle too. You see, God's moving, planning, working in them all. We focus on the nation of Israel. Why? Because that's where Mashiach Nagi, that's where the Messiah comes from. That's where Jesus comes through. That's where we need to focus because who's the main thing? Jesus. So that's where we keep our focus. On Jesus. What did Jesus do? How does Jesus fit into the scripture? God has a plan for everyone's life. In verse 24, he goes on. So, rise, take your journey, cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Listen, this is key. How do they begin to possess it? Begin to possess it, engage him in battle. How do we begin to possess all that God has for us? And we have to be on the battlefield. We don't get to sit this one out. We don't get to ride it uh, from the the sidelines. No, you're in the game. And Paul would tell us, put on the whole armor of God. What do we need armor for? Oh, because there's a lot of battles to fight. That's how we possess the land. That's how we possess all that God has for us in the battle. We're prepared for battle. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All of these things that we have upon ourselves to enter into that battlefield, to realize that it's all a battlefield. Life is a battlefield. And if we want to possess what God has for us, then we got to go. We got to be in the game. We got to be in the fight doing that for which what whatever God has called us to. Listen, he says in verse 25, "This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you." Do you remember when they come to Jericho, what Rahab says? Man, we have been afraid of you guys for a long time. Probably 40 years. Because the children of Israel were supposed to come in 40 years earlier, right? But what did God say? I have begun. I have begun. What does he tell them in Exodus? Little by little. Bit by bit. I'm going to give you the land. As you step, as you step out to possess, I'm going to meet you there. The battle's mine. You just got to step out and possess. I'll win the battle, but you got to step out. I'll fight the battle, but you got to step out. And that's how we will possess all that God has for us. In verse 26, he says, now, Moses says, I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sion, king of Heshbon, with words of peace. And he said, let me pass through your land, and I will keep strictly to the road, and I will not turn neither to the right nor the left, and you will sell me food for money that I can eat, and give me water for money that I will drink. Only let me pass through. I just want to pass through just as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me until I cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord God has given us. So he says, hey, we don't have to fight. Ah, just let me pass through. Where were they going? The other side of the Jordan, right? So they didn't need this. But look at what verse 30 says. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. Now, what is this verse telling us? Listen, here's what it's not telling us. God didn't change his heart. What did he do? He hardened his heart. He didn't change it. Who made the choice? Sihon. He decided to rebel. He decided to go to war. He decided to fight. What did God say? That's your choice. You're going to keep it. You know, over and over and over again, you hear people talk about the Lord, as the as gospel message comes through, and we have an opportunity to receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every time we tell God no, what happens? We're hardening our heart. We're hardening our heart and hardening our heart and hardening our heart until we reach a point where God says, your heart is hard. So be it. God didn't change the heart. He hardened it. He said, that's your choice, Sihon. You've made your choice. Here it comes, that he might deliver the land into your hand. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sihon his land over you. I've begun to give it to you, but what did they have to do? Look at the next phrase. So begin to possess it. I have begun. I put fear in their hearts. I hardened Sihon's heart. The battle is all laid out for you, but you have to possess If they never put foot on the battlefield, they wouldn't have got anything. They wouldn't have won the battle. They wouldn't have have taken the land. It wouldn't have come to pass. They were called to begin to possess it that they might inherit the land. And Sion and all his people came out against us to fight (coughs) at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So we defeated him his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. What? They killed all the children. Well, that's not right. What do you mean it's not right? Why isn't it right? Does God know what he's doing? I mean, I don't know ultimately how the righteous judge worked, but I can tell you this, probably those children that died on that battlefield, their only chance to spend eternity with God was that they were killed on that battlefield. So God said, you kill them children so they can be with me. Because if you let them live, they're going to become like their parents. And they'll spend eternity away from me. Can we learn to see with the eyes that God sees with? It don't always make sense to us, and it's not always easy and it's not always answers people like to hear. But if you think about it, does God know what He's doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we trust Him? Absolutely. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Arior, which is on the bank of the river arnon and from the city that is in the ravine as far as gilead there was not one city too strong for us when the children of israel wouldn't enter into the promised land do you remember why they wouldn't go oh the people are so big they're so powerful There's giants in the land, and and their walled cities reach all the way to heaven. We can't get over the walls. The cities are too strong for us. But now, as they're preparing to enter into the promised land, they're beginning to see, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God called us to go to this land, and we can see that He delivered the Edomites and they, gave, they were given victory over the giants, and he delivered the Moabites, and they were given victory over the giants, and, and, and he delivered the Ammonites, and they were given victory over the giants, and we wouldn't enter in while God's presence was with us? What are we? We struggle sometimes with unbelief, huh? I, I never forget that father that came to Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal my child. And the Lord said in the gospel of Mark, well, if you believe, he'll be healed. I believe. I don't really hold too much stock in that part. The next part, help my unbelief. What was he being with the Lord? Real. This is where I am, God. He knows our trudging, right? Right? If that man said, oh, I believe, oh, that's all good, yeah, uh-huh. I don't know how things would have worked out for him. But when he said, help thou my unbelief, I love the King James sometimes. And, he, and the Lord said, he's healed. He's healed. We are going to learn to possess, to have, to experience all that God has for us based on our ability to trust him to possess, to believe God is able to do what he said he did, he could do. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is pointing to all these other people. Yeah, like the Ammonites and, and the Edomites and, 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 and the Moabites. And they didn't have the cloud of God in the middle of their camp. They didn't have the tabernacle. They didn't have the presence of Lord God Almighty overshadowing them. But the nation of Israel did. And they still struggled with their faith, their trust. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to struggle. What's the key in our struggle? Help me, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me. Help me. Give me the victory. Give me victory over these things. There was not one city too strong. They wiped them all out the lord our god delivered them all to us who won the battle god who wins a battle in your life god no matter what the battle is no matter if the battle is sickness or depression or financial issues or a loss of a job or whatever it is who gets the victory god who fights the battle The Lord, what do I got to do? I just got to possess what He's already done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished, done, it's over. I've won. But sometimes we live like we're not sure how the outcome is, we're not quite sure that God's really able. So, what happens? We're trudging in the wilderness. We're trudging in the wilderness when God is saying, you've been around this mountain long enough. Let's go. Let's possess everything that he has for us. He goes on in verse 37, only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok, or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God has forbidden us. Where are we supposed to go? Where God calls us to go. What if God doesn't call us to go somewhere? Or he tells us not to go. I would suggest not going. The last fella that I am aware of. Who went or didn't go where God was telling him to go. Was Jonah. How would that turn out for him? I mean he looked funny the rest of his life. Didn't he? You think he just. Come out of the inside of a fish for three days. And looked like everybody else. I don't think so. Actually. We have seen human beings spend almost that much time, if not that much time, inside the belly of fish. And they didn't come out looking like normal. They had no hair. Because the acid in the belly ate all the hair. And bleached them like a bright formaldehyde white. So when you see Jonah going through Nineveh, don't see this prophet with these cool duds on you know, speaking his message. No, he was freaky looking when he walked through the town. That's why when he said, 40 days and the judgment of God will fall upon the city, the people said, man, that guy looks weird. We better listen. Because he didn't want to go where God called him to. He wanted to run away. They said here, God said not to go there. I'm not going there. Where'd they learn that? You remember the day they didn't enter into Kadesh Barnea? And the next morning they said, Oops, we kind of blew that. Okay, God, we're going to go now. And God said, Don't go now. It's too late. And they went anyway. How would that work out? They got whooped, right? They got whooped. So what business do we have going or being anywhere God hasn't called us to be? We need to go where God has called us. And if you're thinking, Well, yeah, that's true, but... God hasn't called me anywhere. Sorry. That's wrong. God has called you to some area of service. There is nowhere in the scriptures you find someone that God says, You know what? I really didn't have any purpose for you. (laughs) It's not there. God has an area of service for us all. You know what I discovered when I began to serve the Lord? I grew more serving than i ever grew studying or meeting together i learned more teaching two and three year olds than i learned in all my years in bible college you don't believe me take a difficult biblical concept and make a two or three year old understand it and you can't use all them big words that nobody can spell anyway how do you help them understand sanctification what about justification how do you bring to light the truths of the Bible so that a two and three year old can understand it because they matter to the Lord you know what you discover oh I can't do this but the Holy Spirit can he'll give me the words and while I'm teaching I'll go wow I never thought of that before that's pretty good I like that. And you apply that and you write it down in your thing. And and one day somebody's looking through your your journal and they say, hey, where'd you get this? And you'll say, man, I don't know. Must have been a pretty smart guy. You probably forget that it was the Holy Spirit revealing it to you while you were teaching two and three year olds. God's called us all to something. To serve in some capacity because in serving the Lord, we grow. Every one of us. We just gotta find it. What is it? And then walk in it. Be exactly what God is calling us to to be. Go where God calls us to go. Don't go where God says, "Uh, don't go there. If God's not there, why do you want to be there? Why? It'll be fun. Really? Where in Scripture was it fun to be where God wasn't? Not too many places, was it? But it looks really good. All them people look like they're having a good time. Yeah, that's what Lot said when he looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Woohoo, look at them guys. Man, they got it good. I think we'll go there. No, if God's not there, don't be there. If God is there, then be where God is as often as you can. Where does the Bible say the Lord is? Where two or three are gathered. There He is. So we should be together. We should spend time together. We should be at that Bible study over here. The Bible study over there. The Bible study across town. Or or with that group of people. It doesn't matter what church anybody goes to. Where two or three believers are gathered. There he is. In the midst. Where do I want to be? Where God is. Where don't I want to be? Anywhere he's not. If he's not there... We don't want to be there. I know you were thinking I was going to stop, but I ain't going to. Then we turned and we went up the road to Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, came out against us. He and all his people to battle at Ed Dry. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him. You remember Og of Bashan? What was he? Guess. A giant. He was one of them terrible ones. One of them frightening ones. One of them horrible wicked men he was one of those guys everybody was afraid of but god gave him the victory how many times we got to hear that story before we believe it if we came up in sunday school how many times we hear the story of david and goliath and how many times when that giant comes up in our life do we retreat be afraid what did the Lord say to them? Don't be afraid. Do not fear him for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand and you will do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt at Heshbon. All we have to do is enter the battle and he'll take care of the rest. Isn't that comforting? You mean I don't have to have it all worked out? Not really. Not really. Actually it's probably better if you don't. Cuz it seems like when we build our plans we we just get we monkey up the works. We want the Lord to do his perfect work. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og king of Bashan with all his people and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. We took all his cities at that time there was not a city which we did not take from them 60 cities all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, bars, besides a great many rural towns. Why didn't they enter at Kadesh Barnea? Oh, these cities are too tough for us. They just wiped out 60. By the way, that seems to be like an extensive military battle, doesn't it? I don't, I don't know if that was a one-day deal. I mean, they, they took all their cities, all the rural towns, and we utterly destroyed them as we did Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, the women, and the children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. Now the Sidians called Hermon Syrian, and the Amorites called it Sinir. That's the, the alternate names of the same place. Uh, just trying to, to explain some of that. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Selka, Edrai, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of what? The remnants of the Rephaim. The terrible ones. The giants. And indeed, his bed... His bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Raba, the people of Ammon? Nine cubits its length and four cubits its width according to the standard cubit. Six foot wide, 13 and a half foot long was his bed. King Bashan. Must have been a pretty big guy. I like big bed. Anybody like big bed? When we were coming back from, from Arizona... We stayed at a, one of the hotels. It was, it was so depressing. So we come walking in the room, and it's two full beds. No, I don't mean like full beds, I mean full. Not even a queen. A double bed. Last time we slept in a double bed, we'd been married like two weeks. But hey, it, it worked, it was cozy. But it worked. We were able to sleep. I, I, I'm more into the six foot wide, 13 and a half foot long. That's California king, right? <laughs> Pretty close. But Aga he slept on one all by himself. He, he, he filled up that bed all by himself. Listen, what, what are they saying? What are they laying out for us? In these battles that occur prior to the children of Israel crossing the Jordan and really beginning to possess the land... God's preparing them. What's He giving them? He's giving them victory over the giants already. Already. Just like He gave to the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. So if He gave victory over the giants to the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Israelites, will He give it to you and me? Or was He just showing us all those victories over the giants in their life So that he could say no. Because I want to torture you. Sometimes that's how we view God in heaven, isn't it? He's up there with that lightning bolt. And when we do wrong, we're not good. What's he do? (laughs) Zaps us. When we do good, he's just waiting for us to mess up. And that's not God. That's not God. All that judgment was poured out for the sin that his son became at the cross. And he said, it is finished. That's done. That's done. There's nothing else for us to do. We just need to possess what God has already promised. Wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'll give it to you. But we gotta just pick it up and enter in. You've got to enter into the battle. Think it's Ezekiel, the prophet, lays out a prophecy talking about men and women standing in the gap. And he said he was looking for someone to stand in the gap and there was no one. This is a sad day. God's looking to give his people the victory, but nobody wants to fight. Isn't that how it was with David and Goliath? Would God have given the victory to any one of those guys if they'd have stood up and said, My Lord will deliver you into my hands? Oh, yeah. But only one would stand. In the church today, how many more victories would the Lord give if there was someone standing in the gap? Specifically in Ezekiel, standing in the gap, he's referring to that warrior who will stand in prayer for his people. If we have that opportunity. Don't forget, warriors in the wall, 168 Gaps in a week and trust me there's plenty of them still available to stand in a gap how will revival come when God's people put on their armor stop fighting amongst one another stop polishing it step up and say here I am Lord use me that's how it'll come. And that requires repentance, a change of direction, a change of heart. Before the Lord hardens all our heart and says, My people just won't come. May we answer the call. Like the Ammonites, those who were before, the Israelites, the Moabites, Edomites. Let's have everything that God has for us. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We can come before you. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to to just open your word, Father, to be a part of what you're doing. God, we just pray that, Lord, you would uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. If there's areas in our life or, or an opportunity that we are being called of you to stand, And we haven't stood. We're we're afraid. We're we're lacking the the faith, the trust, the the ability to say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me. Make me able to stand. Father, may we just make the choice because all there is to it is to do it. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to be willing to show up. I just got to show up the victory is in you. You will provide the victory for you are able to do abundantly above and beyond what we can even imagine. So may we be men and women of faith. Men and women who trust you even if we don't have all the answers. Even if we don't know how it's all going to work out or what it all means. Father, that we would trust you That we would take our eyes off the giant. That we would take our eyes off of the fear of battle. And we put our eyes on the only one who will never fail. May you restore unto us the joy of our salvation. May we come before you with an attitude of repentance. Father, just changing our direction and saying i'm sorry that i was satisfied with with being just just another voice that wasn't in the game and may we step up and say god i want to be one of your children willing to stand cuz Even if only one stands, God can get the victory. Father, may we stand for this community. May we stand for the children at, at the schools in this area. May we stand for Buell High School and Castleford and Filer and every High school and every area all around us, Lord God, that we would not just let our our little ones, let these young ones go into a life never knowing you, because we're not willing to do what you're calling us to do. May we all come before you on our knees saying, "God, wherever you want me to serve." However you want me to serve. I am willing. Holy Spirit move in this place. For the victory is already assured. All that is left to it. Is for us to do it. Lord we do pray. Your revival would come. Revive us again, Lord. Let us see this new work that you want to do. As hearts, lives are turned toward you. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for defeating the giants in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close in worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. I uh, look forward to visiting with you guys out in the foyer. God bless you and go in peace.